Hi there, and welcome to the Itchy Feet Travel Podcast with me, Joe O'Connor. The show where one special guest talks all things travel, the trips that have shaped their lives, what travel really means to them, and indeed, what it might look like in the future. Travel's in the blood. That's what it says in the Twitter bio of my guest for this, the final episode of Series 1. Having reported from 140 countries, and being a specialist in many foreign regions, you could call that an understatement. I've had so much travel in my lifetime that either, you know, you either say, oh, I'm sick of it, I can't bear it any longer, or if you're like me, it becomes part of your existence. As well as holding the post of BBC World Affairs editor, John Simpson is a journalist, broadcaster and accomplished author. He is one of the most respected foreign correspondents in the world, who has a certain knack for being in the right place at the right time. And at the age of 75, he shows very few signs of slowing down. Flying into perhaps more dangerous places is a great excitement. And, you know, you sit there, you know that all the sort of regulated uh, comfort of the airline is going to change within a matter of hours, perhaps minutes. When we caught up, John filled me in about his memories of first seeing Casablanca, both movie and place, his strong affinity with Ireland, why he won't be returning to Dubai anytime soon, as well as his long-standing bid to reach an uncontacted tribe in the Amazon. Well, I went there in 1992 and went down a, a river, which was um, a sort of an offshoot of the Amazon, in the far west of Brazil, quite near the Peruvian border. And we came across a tribe that had never been contacted before. All that and much more on this, the final episode in the series of the Itchy Feet Travel Podcast. I hope you enjoy. John Simpson, great to have you on the show. Really appreciate you taking the time out to chat. It's a great honour to be on it. Brilliant. The last time we spoke, if you remember, you had just released your book, We Chose to Speak of War and Strife. So I think that's around four years ago, if I'm correct. So a hell of a lot has happened since then. You know, we've obviously seen how Trump has taken to his presidency. Brexit has happened. We're in the middle of a global pandemic how has life been for you in, in, since then? <laughs> well, actually, uh, to be really honest, it's been quite quiet. I've sat here since um, mid, whenever it was, mid, mid-March, sat at home, working extremely hard, uh, but not travelling anywhere, of course, um, I finished a novel, uh, my second novel, which um, I've, I've uh, been laboring on for a bit. I got that finished, sent it off, felt really good. Um, I've taken to opening up um, a YouTube channel and I do a sort of rant on it uh, <laughs> every few days about some, whatever takes my fancy, usually kind of political stuff, but not always. Um, one day, for instance, I, I just went, I live in Oxford in, in England, and I went round 
the whole centre of Oxford, which is quieter probably than it's been at any time since, I don't know, the Great Plague or something like that. And uh, that, was, uh, that was quite fun. But mostly I talk about China and Russia and all the rest of the guff, you know, um, and, uh, and writing. And I've, I, I've had a really, really enjoyable, if quite, um, quite busy time. Okay, great. It sounds like you've been keeping busy anyway. Mm. Well, look, we have you on here, as I said, to kind of to lighten the mood, I suppose, from your usual kind of guff, as you described it, um, to talk travel. And, you know, I, I was reading that you've reported from, incredibly enough, about 140 countries. So you certainly are the man to kind of talk the travel about. And I wondered if I could take you back to your earliest travel memory or perhaps a trip that really gave you that kind of fascination with the world and made you think, I, I want to see more of this. Yes, well, um, my father was a, a great traveller. He, at the age of 16, he ran away to sea and he became a steward on um, a piano series, actually, of piano liners around the world. This was in the early 30s. And um, he, that gave him the, the feeling of, for a feeling for world travel. Mm-hmm. And in 1962, the winter of 1962, it was the worst in Northern Europe uh, for 30, 40 years or something like that. And we lived on the, on the coast of England, the east coast of England in Suffolk. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the pipes froze on our house and life became absolutely intolerable. And my father just threw everything up. He and I were living there on our own, just the two of us. And he said, I've got to go somewhere warm. And, and he said, I remember he said, um, w- let's go to Casablanca. Okay. And in my dopiness, I said, um, where's it showing? Uh, in the <laughs> nearby town. And he looked at me as though, you know, he couldn't believe that he'd spawned this moron. And he said, <laughs> the place, the place. And so I think two days later, we flew uh, via Paris to, um, uh, to Casablanca, which was an extraordinarily exciting place for a, as somebody who'd led a moderately sheltered life up to then. We had the most fantastic time. And while we were there, my uh, my father and I, we went to a, a New Year's Eve party at a, at a restaurant. And there was Zsa Zsa Gabor, the famous sort of man-eating actress. <laughs> and she and my father fell for each other. And I, I didn't see him for about two or three days and he came back with a black eye god knows what had happened oh, well. and, um, never told me about anything more about it <laughs> okay sounds like a very interesting trip yeah and that that really gave you how old were you then john actually i would have been i suppose 18 okay. 17 or 18 uh, right yeah. okay but that... you know in those days i mean it's it's less uh, unusual now for a kid of 17 or 18 never to have been abroad but at that stage in the early 60s you know this was before the days of cheap travel and um, most people I I knew in fact I'm not sure I knew anybody really who had done any traveling except for the rich kids at school who went skiing that was all 
Okay, and tell me, had you seen the film before you traveled there? I had, I had. Of course, it bore absolutely zero resemblance <laughs> to anything we saw in Casablanca. Of course, of course. I wanted to, to understand if there's something that excites you most about travel. Well, I, I've had so much travel in my lifetime that uh, either, you know, you either say, oh, I'm sick of it, I can't bear it any longer, or if you're like me, it, it, it becomes part of your existence. And therefore, I think even the simple things like going to the airport and, and, and checking in and going through security, all those things I, I've come really to, to enjoy. Ooh. And I haven't now traveled um, since I think the end of February. And uh, it, it not, not, well, in fact, I've, I've just been away to France, but that was by car. Okay. But I haven't flown anywhere since, uh, since February. And I really, really miss it. Um, mm. It's like, a, um, you know, it's like living on bread and water for me. I, I miss, the, miss a richer diet. And is there something you would say that gives you that buzz, that excitement? Yes. I... I've always felt that. And, you know, tr flying into perhaps more dangerous places uh, is, a, is a, a great, um, uh, it's a great excitement. And, mm. uh, you know, you sit there, you know that all the sort of regulated uh, comfort of the, uh, of the airline is going to change within a matter of hours, perhaps minutes, to something much more chaotic, perhaps worrying, perhaps, you know, perhaps uh, even dangerous. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've, I've, I've come to enjoy that too, the sense of, of peace and calm mm -hmm. just immediately before the storm. Of course, of course. And I suppose that's part and parcel of having been a war correspondent is, I suppose, that excitement or that... The danger, um, the, the appeal of, of danger or uncertainty. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, I, that's, that's been my life for 50 years, 53 or something years. Mm. And um, it's, you know, suddenly I'm, I'm forced to think maybe the future's not going to be like that. I mean, the, the BBC has already hinted to me that, it probably wouldn't be very enthusiastic about by traveling anywhere difficult in future um, because of the problems of COVID-19 and all the rest of it. I suppose they don't want to be responsible if anything happened to me. But so I think that uh, the future is going to have quite a lot less travel in it for me than than the past, which would be sad. But I mean, you know, you have to come to terms with these things. Sure, sure. And I imagine journalism will change for foreign desks. You know, maybe there'll be more reporting from people within that country, you know, and maybe less sending, you know, journalists abroad to these various places. But it will be interesting to see the, the changes that take place. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think that's already happening, in mm -hmm. fact. Um, yeah, and the idea, yeah. the old sort of um uh ethic of uh of uh you know london based or home based correspondents hopping on a plane and going somewhere to report i'm afraid i think that's probably in the past now 
Mm-hmm. Okay. John, is there a favourite travel destination you could name? Obviously, you've got, you know, 140 or over countries you've been to, but is there somewhere that stands out that you'd say, you know, that's above and beyond the rest? Well, yes, but again, I'm sorry to say that's changed too. I mean, my favourite place in the world until um, the last few months was Hong Kong. Mm. Uh, now, you know, it's it's becoming a kind of uh, grand prison camp and there's no no enjoyment in uh, going to a, a, a prison camp. Um, my other favorite uh, favorite places to go to southern Africa, in particular to South Africa, mm-hmm. um, where my wife is from, and we've been going there on average twice, three times a year for family occasions, uh, holidays, um, whatever. Sometimes for work. Mm-hmm. Um, that also now you know now that 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 uh, COVID nineteen is so strong in South Africa, it's one of the worst affected places in the world. Um, that is going to be some time, I'm afraid, before we go back there. So my my world has has shrunk a little bit. Um, the fact is, of course, there are huge numbers of absolutely superb places to go to. So there's not really much shortage if two have dropped off the list temporarily. Um, there's, there's, you know, endless, endless others. And you don't have to go to, uh, to boring places, you know, to places where that just sort of set up for, uh, for tourism. I mean, you, there's a lot of exciting uh, other, other countries to go to. So we're casting our net a little bit wider than we have been. Yeah, for sure. It's making us think outside the box. And of course, Ireland, close to you. Um, it's somewhere that's close to your heart, I, I imagine, having lived here and reported from here. Oh, yes. Very, very close to my heart. And and in fact, I was just, we were, my wife and I were talking about it the other day. We think that, you know, there must be a really good chance that we'll end up in, in, in Ireland when finally I hang my boots up whenever that is. Um, <laughs> Related to us, the education of our son, in fact, because uh, he's now 14. So he's got four more years uh, at at school in England. And then when he's gone, you know, when he goes to university or maybe when he finishes at university, there won't be the necessity to to stay in England anymore. And we'll be looking for somewhere else to to kind of of settle down. My wife, having come from South Africa, uh, um, and although she adores Ireland, um, she tends to think about somewhere a bit more sunny. uh, (laughs) I'm trying to put this very tactfully. uh, (laughs) Don't worry, (laughs) Irish people feel the exact same every day, don't worry. (laughs) But I've I've spent, I mean, quite a big chunk of my life um, uh, over the years uh, living in Ireland, Mm -hmm. um, mostly in the area around Dalkey, um uh sandy cove round there mm. on in three four actually different big chunks of several years at a at a time yeah, yeah. um so that's got a huge attraction uh, for for both of us but certainly for from especially for me 
John, would you say there's a place that you'd never return to that you've been there, perhaps for different reasons, it's changed somewhere like Hong Kong or, or just somewhere you, you've been to, you found it very unpleasant and you won't be going back to anytime soon? Well, there's a place, there's various places. I, I, you know, I think too boring for words uh, <laughs> to go to. Um, I mean, one of them is is Dubai. I mean, I, I just, I've had unpleasant experiences there being treated unpleasantly by the authorities. Um, it seems to me to sum up kind of all that's nastiest and weirdest in the world. I mean, the idea, not nastiest, but certainly weirdest, the idea that you take a patch of desert and spend enormous quantities of money um, turning it green. Um, and uh, I don't know, it's like a seems to me like a kind of three dollar bill it's a place that doesn't uh, um, doesn't have any kind of natural life to it and as I say I've, I've always well often found the uh, authorities there really really quite uh, quite unpleasant uh, you know as a journalist I'm talking about yeah. not, as a, not as a tourist sure. so when I see people going going there you know to sort of a uh, hundred degree uh, temperatures and they come back looking like you know um, roasted some roasted animal I, I, I just think listen you know there are so many better places on this earth to go to sure sure I, I have to say I fully agree I've been there tw twice and I'm in no hurry to get back on the other side of it would you say there's any real hidden gem that you consider that you've been to that you know you wonder why isn't kind of on more people's bucket list, so to speak. Yes, I mean, if we're talking about that area, um, Oman, mm. just along the, the, the coast, um, I mean, the climate is pretty fierce as it is in, in Dubai, but um, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of real place, you know, with real, real local people, local architecture. It's, it's, it's the... the Towns and cities of Oman have, have been there for time immemorial. They, they don't date back to 1991, you know. Um, and uh, and there's a real there's a real culture there. So uh, I I would say just on the doorstep of a of a phony place like Dubai exists um, a, a really attractive uh, area. I mean, there's loads and loads of wonderful um, countries that nobody goes to very much. I mean, like, um, you know, the countries of Central Asia, Turkmenistan, uh, Tajikistan, um, Azerbaijan, all of those, they, they're, they're weird in, in different ways. And they're always terribly comfortable for for tourists, but there are wonderful, wonderful sites. I mean, I'm not sure there's a, 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 a more exciting country on earth than Uzbekistan. Ooh. I mean, the government is uh, absolutely appalling. Um, and uh, I think, I don't think journalists are allowed there, actually, Western journalists, but it hasn't stopped me in the past and uh and i'm i'll I hope to go back there so lots and lots of different uh different places that i i um you know i i, I just think are, are full of excitement and and which nobody goes to you don't see other tourists there 
Yeah, for sure. Some really interesting places there. John, I wanted to ask um, what it's like returning to places that you've reported on war. Um, something that comes to mind, I watched what uh, was a very moving documentary of when you returned to Iraq and, and you visited the family of a, of a former colleague of yours who was tragically killed during the war there. Um, that's one that comes to mind. But I, I was wondering, you know, do, do you do it often? Do you go back to these places perhaps not working or... You know, how does it feel when you go back to a place that, you know, was a very different destination, um, you know, years previous? Well, of course, there's that, there's a sort of lack of, of any kind of tension when you do that, which can be very, uh, very attractive. Um, and it's quite, can be quite melancholy going back over the scenes of places where you've, uh, you've spent time with, with colleagues where perhaps you've seen unpleasant uh, things. Um, most recently, I suppose, uh, I went back to uh, Lebanon. I took my wife and son uh, back there. We had actually a really delightful holiday um, in a, uh, a little town north of Beirut called Byblos, which uh -huh. um, goes, dates back to about you know, 7,000 BC, and um, where I'd, I've been various times, uh, that was, that was um, delightful uh, going there. And it's got a, a special kind of thing for me because, uh, you know, it's, I can take my son there and show him, tell him where, where different things happened. We didn't, I mean, I, you know, when we were in Beirut, I, I didn't, trouble him to go and see the places where you know I was uh, nearly um, killed various times there or where I, I, I reported on a particular massacre in 1982 which was a huge thing at the time the massacre in Sabra and Chatila um, I just thought you know poor old kid it doesn't need to uh, see too many um, uh, horrors or hear about too many horrors, but but just telling him, you know, describing the, what the country had been like under under war and what it's like now, very very peaceful, mostly pretty peaceful. Big demonstrations still in Beirut, but not um, nothing nothing sort of threatening. Mm -hmm. That's uh, that's quite uh, attractive. I was there actually. I went there in I think February for uh, for a news story, um, but uh, we we had our holiday there. I think in September, the previous September, so last last year. Mm -hmm. um, charming. Also another wonderful place to go and. You know, there are there are times when it's more tense than others, but I mean, basically, it's a it's a peaceful country nowadays. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a fascinating place. I was lucky enough to be there last November, I think, to a place north of uh, Beirut called Baalbek. Oh, I imagine yeah. you've been there, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. Yes. incredible yes. place, yeah. Oh, those ruins are just superb. Yeah. yeah, and you really have to think: was it in another country, perhaps closer to Europe? You know, it'd be you know the place to go to. But yeah. uh, so it's kind of sad to see, you know, what remains of what was once, you know, a hugely popular tourist destination, but still yes. a fascinating, yes. fascinating yes. place to see. I have to say. 
just going back to COVID-19 and we're sick to death of talking and hearing about it, but I wonder what your own thoughts are, John, about what travel might look like um, in a post, I don't know, when a post-COVID world will come about, but uh, I suppose in the next few years, how how do you view travel? Well, I'm sure, I mean, you'll know more about this than I do, Joe, but I'm sure that it's going to be heavily restricted in in all sorts of ways um uh, flying for instance is going to be difficult i think many many more people will will drive take driving holidays as opposed to uh to flying holidays um that it, it it's easier i mean i just did this in in france um and you, you know you simply don't have any of the hassles that that you do when you fly um i i when we came back from france to to uh to england uh we were supposed to fill in some forms or something and i i did actually fill it in but i couldn't find it on my computer and you know we came through the checkpoint and uh, the guy said did you fill out the form and i said yes and he said have you got it there and I said, well, I, you know, it's in the computer somewhere. I can't find it at the moment. He said, oh, I'm sure it's all right. Mm-hmm. And that was that. Whereas if, you know, if we'd flown, we went to the south of France, if we'd flown to Nice and come back, uh, I, I think it would have been much more complicated and difficult. So I imagine that, that uh, you know, the driving holiday is going to be uh, quite popular um and um i th- i think people aren't are, are going to really not not go so far as they as they have been used to um i think it's got all sorts of problems for a country like like uh, brazil for instance uh, which has a a thriving holiday uh, industry as you know um and south africa um those kind of countries which are if not dependent on tourism at least um uh, rely on it for a good chunk of uh, of their annual income i think that's going to cause problems but i just can't imagine i mean we had a just before the um the the covid um um lockdown we had a holiday booked in zimbabwe and we were just about uh only about a, i think a week or 10 days or something away from getting on the plane Um, and uh and it just became obvious that if we did we'd be stuck there for months on end i wonder if if we'd still you know might still even be there um which is a bit a bit much for a holiday you know if it's gonna last six months (laughs) yeah for sure yeah look it's it's hard to know what way it's gonna go it really is but i think you're right i think people are gonna have to get accustomed to much more regulation and paperwork and and all these things, it might stop, yeah, many people from taking those far-flung destination trips. But, uh, yeah, it's something we're going to have to get used to for sure. And then I was going to ask you, John, you've, you mentioned that you were in France there recently. Now, UK is, is a bit ahead of Ireland in terms of um, lifting its travel restrictions. But is there anywhere you have planned in the months ahead or before the end of the year that you might uh, travel to? I, I'm not sure actually. I think we, um, I think we might have might feel that we've kind of done our our bit for a while. Um, I, I, 
I mean, I've, I'm in these new situation, in the new situation, I'm quite sort of keen on um, going to countries which I, for instance, haven't um, spent any time uh, uh, in as a, as a tourist. Um, okay. I'd like to go to Germany, um, which is almost, has almost no tourist industry, really, apart from, uh, apart from Berlin. Um, it's a magnificent country to drive around in and uh, and and find find out about, um, and and Sweden's another country. I mean, I've been there loads of times, but it's always just to uh, you know just to go to Stockholm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there are those places that you can go to that aren't that far away and are quite um, are not terribly expensive to travel mm-hmm. to. But you know that you can just um, have a—it's sort of a kind of unexplored territory, really. That—that's what I'd quite like to do. Yeah. Okay. And is there somewhere in particular that you haven't been? Um, you know, obviously you've reported from 140 countries and and visited more, I'm sure. But is there somewhere you still haven't had a chance to tick off that you really would love to? I've never been to Vietnam. Really? Um, wow. No, no. And I mean, you know, it, that's become quite a familiar uh, holiday destination, hasn't it? I, I've uh, no, I've, I've never, I've never travelled there um, for work, and I've never, uh, God knows, I tried in the 1960s. I must have sent off um, memo after memo, uh, uh, week after week, to beg the BBC to send me to, to the Vietnam War, but uh, they always turned me down. Um, and uh, so I never never got there then. And um, that is a country I'd love to, love to go to in Laos. Uh, and, um, uh, um, the, you know, Cambodia and so on. Mm-hmm. Cambodia perhaps uh, l- less than, than others, so much tragedy there i i i you know i think that might be a bit depressing but of course plenty of tragedy in in vietnam as well mm, of course of course um can i quickly ask you john about a place in the amazon you, you had come into contact with um a tribe there um i, I think it was back in the early 90s and you, you tried to go there again um, a couple of years ago could you just briefly tell me about that that place Yes, well, I went there in 1992 and um, uh, went down a, a river, uh, which was um, a, a sort of an offshoot of the Amazon, uh, in the far west of uh, Brazil, quite near the Peruvian border. And we came across a tribe that had never been contacted before. Mm wonderful people and we stayed there for ages my my uh, cameraman and I and um, I've always wanted to go back always wanted to know what happened to them mm-hmm. and I think two years ago two and a half years ago finally I managed to persuade the BBC to let me go back and we had everything planned I mean we'd bought all the 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 travel gear the tents the the you know everything and um uh just just the week before we were supposed to leave we got our our fixer local fixer brazilian from sao paulo 
to a doctor to go there, um, go down to the river to check it out for us. Um, and she reported back that the river was far too shallow to take our boats. There'd been no rains, really disturbing. No rains for, I think, two years. And the river was, was, wouldn't be able to take our boat. And of course, you know, there's no other way to travel. There are no roads, obviously. And uh, in the dense forest, I mean, you couldn't possibly go overland. You can only go by boat. So we had to cancel at the last moment, real tragedy. Mm. And um, ever since, uh, you know, well, I mean, this year, obviously, uh, the danger of COVID uh, operating there and of us perhaps taking it mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to the Amazon. That's been a, a problem. And I, I tried another way just recently, about a month ago, two months ago, I got onto a, um, uh, to a, um, a kind of uh, one of these organizations that campaigns for the rights of indigenous peoples. And mm -hmm. I said, look, just send me there to check it out for you. And they, they said, you know, it really is too dangerous, not for you, but for the people that you would go to see. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm, now I'm 75. There must come uh, a moment when uh, clambering on board dugout canoes in the uh the huge heat of the amazon is going to be something that i'm not quite so up for but mm. at the moment i could do it and uh, there's a certain amount of urgency as far as i'm concerned i also think it, I mean, it's a really important news story to know what the president of brazil has managed to do to the amazon how much of it is allowed to be cut down and so forth and mm. what's happened to those indigenous peoples i mean you hear stories but you don't get any clear reporting and i i, I would love to do that sure that sounds fascinating john and i'll certainly be keeping an eye out for it um i'm sure your wife will have a heart attack if she hears you talking about it but uh <laughs> look no i think she's well, she's so used to me and you know she used to work as my producer all over the world ah, okay um, so uh, uh, no, I think she she thinks stupid old idiot. You know, if he wants to get involved, let him. You know. Yeah, he's still at it. I'll let him do his thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. Listen, John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, just before we go, just interested to hear what the plans are for the weeks and months ahead. You mentioned your second novel. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, I I wrote a novel about um, about. China and about indeed uh, not not unrelated to COVID nineteen really, but mm. mostly uh, it, a fairly thinly disguised version of my own kind of adventures there and uh, on the problems that I've that I've had. China's a country I I absolutely adore. I mean I'm not terribly much uh, necessarily in favour of the of the government and the way it behaves, but mm -hmm. Uh, China, Chinese people, Chinese culture, something which uh, has uh, absolutely obsessed me for years and years and years. So I, I put all of this into a, into a, uh, the novel, which is only in its early stages. I mean, I've sent in the manuscript then, you know, 
the publishers go all over it and trample all over it and you know take out your favorite bits <laughs> yeah it's all that and, and uh, so I've, that this lies ahead of me i think it's uh, due to come out next june so it's somewhere ahead okay. but um anyway I, and i haven't got a title for it yet. okay look look forward <laughs> to it. great to hear you, you're keeping productive anyway um listen john it's been an absolute pleasure great to hear all those stories and as I said, a little reprieve from all the heavy political stuff we're hearing and talking about so much lately. So thanks for your time and uh, best of luck with your next trips and, and um, projects. Thanks, Ruben. And thanks for a lovely interview and what a pleasure to be on your show. This episode, which was the final in the series of the Itchy Feet Travel podcast, was produced and presented by me, Joe O'Connor. I'd like to give a big shout out to Paul Lochran for his brilliant editing skills and for producing that catchy signature tune that opens and closes the show. I'd also like to thank the guys that I said I would for producing the podcast branding and design. And I'd highly recommend them if you're looking for an agency to really bring your podcast to life. And thanks again to my guest, John Simpson, for joining me. And thanks to all eight guests in this series for sharing their personal travel stories. But most of all, thank you for listening. I hope that the podcast provided some escape at a time when our movement has been so restricted. If you've enjoyed listening half as much as I've enjoyed producing, I'd be delighted with that. I'm going to take a rain check now and consider how I might tackle a second series. So do get in touch if you've any feedback. In the meantime, to ensure that you don't miss any new episodes in the second series, please do subscribe to the Itchy Feet Travel Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. So that's it for now. Take care, safe travels on your staycations or wherever you venture, and chat soon.